Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host here on the future of sport on All In Sports Talk. I say this every week, but I want to make this definitive comment today. This is a very, very special show. It is my episode. It's my 20th episode in what seems you know, a very short period of time. But 20 episodes in nine months, a lot of great broadcasting and a lot of great guests. And to carry on that tradition, I'm very pleased uh, this afternoon here on the show to introduce you, Kieran Maguire. Uh, sometimes known as the price of football with his handle on Twitter and social media. But many people, myself included, will know him as uh, a senior lecturer at the University of Liverpool, where he lectures in uh, sport finance, essentially, but with very much a specialism in the football world. So, Kieran, perhaps to begin with, just tell us a little bit about that name, the price of football, and maybe go back a little bit further and tell us how you got into the uh, into the business, sport business and sport business education? Um, I, I sort of stumbled into it purely by accident because uh, I used to do a breakfast TV show in Manchester for a cable channel. So I became their business reporter or business uh, summariser. Um, but I also do some work for the investment banks down in uh, Canary Wharf and New York and so on uh, during the summer months. And, and one day I, I was teaching at, uh, at one of these investment banks and all of a sudden uh, the, the front doors were closed, the shutters were put down um, and we were told to look, watch out, there could be trouble. And that was the day that the Glazer family took over Manchester United and the bank at which I was working wow. at the time or the bank at which I was doing some training um, they were the advisors to the Glazers and they feared that a bunch of Cockney Reds were going to put the windows out so so that was uh, my, so I got to hear a bit about the deal and then the BBC phoned up at MMU where I was teaching at the time and said could anybody explain what on earth's going on with yeah. this deal and uh, MMU said well Kieran's got a big mouth and he happens to know a bit about football and finance because uh, he, he helps out uh, during the summer at the banks. And so I started doing some interviews for the Beeb, and then it just snowballed from there. Um, Liverpool University, they run a football MBA course, and, and they uh, heard about what I was doing uh, because I, I then became sort of the BBC's de facto football finance dude. And uh, on, on the strength of that and on the strength of the, the quality of my teaching, so one of you teaching awards, um, they offered me a place uh, in Liverpool and the attraction was to be able to actually teach football finance as opposed to just talk about it in the media. I mean, Kieran, that is just such a wonderful little story. And I, it's quite interesting. A lot of the people I interviewed, there are lots of... Uh, commonalities, I suppose, or synergies. I mean, I mean, it is a special show today. I've already made that comment. It's a kind of special show as well because I'm an alumni of the University of Liverpool. So there we go. I started in Liverpool some years ago now. It was a tremendous experience. I loved the city. Never thought I'd leave. Wonderful time at university. And I occasionally go back. So lots of synergies there. I, I, I think Sue Bridgewater uh, is there with you now, is she? Professor Bridgewater? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sue, Sue and I have uh, worked together on some projects. Um, Sue works for the League Managers Association. Yeah. She is quite a senior position as their sort of statistician. So I've, I've given a, a, a talk to them and um, it, it's actually quite scary teaching <laughs> footballers because 
these are the people that I either hero worshipped or loathed uh, throughout um, much of my former years, uh, and now they're all thoroughly nice chaps, is what I find. Um, they're never the, the the ogres that we see uh, portrayed in in the press and on telly. I mean, I think, Kieran, if I may, there as well. That's a great little segue as well, because let's let let's be frank here, or let me kind of put a statement out there to you, which is kind of, I'm not saying it's controversial, but maybe the image of footballers, which you've kind of half alluded to there, you know, the, the kind of either celebrity status or so out there that they're not in touch with the real world. But in fact, my understanding, my experiences, my involvement, particularly in this world of sport business and the global sport business world now, the education is now seen as much more important, and I think everyone's picking up on that, and there are loads of beneficiaries in that. What's your experience in dealing with professional sports people, per se, and or, let's say as well, people who want to see sport business as a career? What are your views on that, Kieran? Well, certainly from the the professional's point of view... um they are what the, the financial services industry would call high net worth individuals. You've, you've got young men in their 20s uh, who are multimillionaires and they are not uh, financial experts and they don't profess to be. But at the same time, they're, they're concerned that they don't want to be taken for a ride by some of the, you know, the snake oil salesmen and, and sharks that are out there. So therefore, they, they, they come to uh, educational establishments just really to sort of get a, an insight into the do's and don'ts. And, and I think that's where we can help them and we can, we can add value to them. But also, if, if you look at a, uh, a footballer who goes into management he will have just spent the last 15 to 20 years in a routine of training, match day, relaxation, you know, therapy and rehabilitation from injuries and so on. And now he could be in charge of, of a budget of, of anywhere from, from in the lower leagues of two to three million pounds to in, in the higher leagues you're talking about a, you know, a, a football budget where the, the wage bill is, is a couple of hundred million. So, so they appreciate that they need some financial awareness and, and they're very keen to learn. I think as well, Kieran, again, this is so empathetic, if I can use that phrase. I think the synergy with some of that kind of uh, not conclusive uh, comment that I made, but some emerging and some developing comment of the importance of education. Because let's be frank and again face lots of British or maybe from uh, what was perceived as, uh, you know, English football, people kind of dropped into it because you were a footballer, you were supposedly good at football, therefore you would be good at management, therefore you'd become a good manager, coach, etc. It's not really worked out like that. And, and in fact, I think we've been, you know, at the bottom of the league in that respect, if I, again, can make that as a comment rather than as a, as, as a natural conclusive statement. But I'm sure we getting better at it and know we're getting better at it but as well as the financial considerations which I know is your area of expertise and specialism I think we also need to concentrate on people need to learn how to manage and I think the more emphasis we can put on through courses that you're doing uh, at Liverpool University I know Manchester Met your former university has done a lot of that so what are your kind of do's and don'ts for people coming out of a professional football career per se and perhaps considering going into management coaching or extending their career what would be your advice to those people well First of all, learn from your peers. I mean, you, 
you will have spent uh, a lot of time in the company of managers uh, and you know, note down what you think is good and what you think is bad. But also take on board the fact that running a football club as a manager um, means that you're going to have to interact with lots of other people. You're going to have to deal with the marketing manager who will want demands on your time. You're going to have to deal with the press officer who will also be trying to protect you from, in one area in the sense that everybody wants to get hold of Jurgen Klopp to get a, a sound bite out of him, yep. but at the same time is wanting you to uh, promote the club's partners uh, and the commercial sponsors uh, and to to be able to therefore see yourself as part of a team um, and build, start to build team working skills. And then from that, you'll, you'll pick up um, from those individuals what, uh, what they are good at and where they are bad at. And, and ultimately, run, running a football club is like running any business. It, it's all about people management. Um, and, and that's where I think the, uh, sort of the, the more academic approach can come in useful because you know, it, it's not all carrot or all stick. And we, we know that we've got different theories of, of how to motivate people. And ultimately, a, a football manager makes a very small difference to a club. Uh, I mean, the research appears to indicate that, but it's making that extra 1% to 2% difference, which is the, the difference between success um, on the park and, and winning trophies and, and not doing so. So I, I, I would always encourage people to have a willingness to learn, but also a willingness to question the people that are teaching you to, and to challenge them. Because if you can articulate a good question and you can sort of disaggregate what the person in front of you is saying in, into uh, into something which your, your fellow peers can understand, um, it is a sign of a skill that, that's going to hold you wherever you go. Because football management is a very precarious industry. You've only got to look at uh, the championship where I think the, the average life of tenancy is, is sort of around about 10 months these mm. days to know that uh, you know, you're today's hero and you're tomorrow's fish and chip paper. <laughs> Kieran, I mean, pausing here for a moment, refreshingly honest, refreshingly much needed statements. You know, gone are the days when, let's say, a traditional manager of for argument's sake, a phrase, the old school, you know, can shout from the touchline, can bully the players out there and cajole them by just shouting. The, the case for education, the case, the case for, you know, listening, the case for questioning, the, the case for articulating all that's required. I couldn't agree with you more. So that is really refreshing and, and, and I'm sure will be picked up by many, not only peers of mine and audience, but maybe a wider audience as well. Can I just kind of move on a little in, in, in our interview, uh, if I may now, Kieran? The LMA, you've touched upon it, I think you mentioned it, I know Sue Bridgewater did a lot of work, it still does, uh, and Richard Bevan, I think, is still in, in, in uh, situ there. They do a lot of good work. They obviously are representative, maybe one might say as, as a union-based organisation for professional footballs and quite often dealing with the aftermath, like you've touched upon failure or being sacked or whatever the construction of that argument would be. But maybe there is also now a need, a case for some kind of organisation to look after the well-being and the welfare and the future education training for the would-be managers of the future. So tell us a little bit about what you see being the future here. And obviously we play a part in that, I would surmise, uh, with the way we're involved in education and lecturing and so on. But have you got other stakeholders or could other stakeholders 
be involved because St George's Park, if you like, innovation to train up the future English football internationals, etc. But where are the best new sports directors, the brand new finance directors of sports institutions and so on? What are your views on this, Kieran? Well, I mean, uh, the LMA do use St George's and they do have programmes um, to, to help the managers, not only those who are currently employed, but those who uh, are seeking work and who have lost their jobs recently. Um, and, and it's to, to give them a broader awareness of what is required. And, and one of the hardest skills I think you're, you're going to find as a football manager is the ability to manage upwards, because ultimately you're reporting to uh, a board of directors and a chairman. Uh, and as well as managing the football team, which is your day-to-day operations, you've actually got to be able to, to win over yeah. that board of directors, many of whom have very strong opinions on football, which are not always uh, based on fact. They, they, they tend to be, uh, you know, football directors can sometimes be emotional yeah. in, in terms of their involvement with the club. Uh, and, and I think to learn skills in, in people management are absolutely essential. Um, and also to, to be aware of what the board of directors are expecting of you. you know, are they expecting a financial return? That's relatively unusual in football, but I think it's something which is changing. You've only got to see the the input of all the new foreign owners, some yeah. of whose uh, uh, ambitions are to win trophies and, and to uh, increase profile, but others are there simply to make a financial return. Yeah, I think, um, sorry, can I just cut across, sorry, sorry for this, uh, Kieran. I think you say uh, absolutely correct and looking after, but some might say from the outside, looking after their own. So, yeah, they're looking after players' welfare when they perhaps have failed or, or, or have been, uh, you know, out of, out of work, so to speak. And they also train them to be better. But is it too insular? I mean, lots of other businesses, the synergies, you know, I can go back maybe think, could Clive Woodward, for example, have managed the English football team, which was kind of talked about? Or could... You know, myself as quite a successful academic or, or sports practitioner or someone who knows about the game, go in and be trained up to be a manager of a football club or not the coach per se, but the manager. And what I'm kind of trying to intimate here is that the future may require a lot more people coming, and, and, and vice versa, you know, good football people could go into industry. But I'm not quite sure whether it is a workable opportunity or is something that's really taken on face value. What are your views on maybe looking at it outside the normal realm of football managers? I think um, from a club's point of view, if they appoint somebody as a manager who comes from a non-football background the first reaction is going to be one of confusion amongst the fan base. Uh, and that's going to reduce the, uh, the length of uh, tolerance of a poor performance by, by the fans. Um, so that could be a problem. If, if, you, if you take a look at uh, Mourinho, he, he was a translator at Barcelona. Correct. Uh, and he, he learned his skills from working with managers, from listening to what they had to say, and he sort of developed an analytical approach to football. And what I think we are finding in modern football is that the use of big data is becoming more and more uh, prevalent within the game. And therefore, you, you need to be more than a footballer, potentially, because you need to understand the statistics to be able to read the data and to, to look at the implications of 
particular elements of, of, of the data that's being produced, yep. which you can then combine with your, your technical knowledge. For, for me, a, a football manager, I always call it the PDTT approach. You need to have uh, technical, tactical, psychological and, and physical skills in, in terms of dealing with those individuals around you um, in terms of motivating players. And some of those skills are going to come from um, sources which weren't traditionally there. And we do have the likes of Optijo and uh, you know, the, the sports data organisations now selling lots of information to clubs because that helps them to identify the marginal differences. And certainly if you look to see what's happened with UK cycling, there's there's arguments always been, it's been the culmination of lots and lots of small differences which give you the edge uh, with footballers being athletes first and footballers second these days it's can you get an athletic edge um, which is going to give you the difference between a draw and a win or a draw and a defeat yeah I mean Kieran you obviously picked up the uh, using a sporting metaphor, the baton uh, very successfully there. I might have delivered a hospital ball to you as well. But there is a lot of conjecture reference, you know, the director of football who may well actually adopt some or all of those, Brailsford, Woodward, whoever you might say, the management. But again, using Mourinho as an example, there are many others, maybe quite often, more often, coming from a European background or a Latin American background, per se, maybe, who, you know, have got degrees, have had education, have not been particularly, you know, the Wengers of this world, even uh, Jürgen Klopp, as you mentioned there. And the roles, and not the fragmentation or the... Uh, the kind of, you know, splitting role responsibilities here, but surely the time has come, you know, for all of the advisors and all of the stakeholders and all of these people to be involved. Do you reflect that in the, in, in the kind of MBA programmes and the, and the modules and the things that you're involved with? I mean, football finance, just tell us maybe a little bit about that. It's, it's probably, presumably, a lot more than just, you know, studying a balance sheet, for example. Um... Yes, it, it is. It's, it's first of all to give people an understanding of broad finance okay. and, and football fans make huge mistakes. They, they don't know the difference between cost and value. They don't know the difference between profit and cash. Yeah. They, they don't understand that whilst it might be a complete pain that if your favourite team is going on a pre-season tour to Thailand, Indonesia and Australia, that will actually allow them to, to pay the wages of the, the new a superstar signing that the club's made for, for the next 12 months. Yeah. And um, I, I think to finance is important because if you can't run the finances of any business, you go bust. And if you look at the number of football clubs which have gone bust over the course of the last 20 years, it's quite frightening. Um, and, and football is actually an industry which is given a lot more leeway than probably any other uh, industry in the UK and, and the reason why I know this was that I, I used to do some forensic work in the, in the bad old days when I was an accountant mm-hmm. sometimes we, we would be asked or we'd, we'd know, we'd hear about somebody going in to investigate a football club on behalf of a bank writing a report to say well the football club is, is bust yeah. and the bank manager then turning around and say, says well I don't want to be the guy that shut down such and such a club here I've got to live in this city and I've yeah. half, half my customers who would, would walk out in disgust. So football finance is important because we love our clubs and we want them to survive. And, and whilst 
things such as financial fair play have merits and demerits. Um, if, when, when I go into do a presentation, the first question I tend to ask is, what was the last football club which went into administration? And when was it? And people are unable to answer that question, even though 48 clubs have gone, in, gone into administration. The last one was in 2013. So football has sorted its, uh, its industry out yeah. through having an understanding of the numbers um, which which go into the which go into the cash flow statements and which go into your forecasts and, and without those if you, if you just go and spend money without um, any regard for the consequences you end up with basket cases such as Portsmouth and it, you think how long it's taken that club to get back on a sound footing uh, Leeds United you know, yeah. their their excesses have, have become legendary um, and you what happens is you, you have a you have a one or two season party and a ten or fifteen year hangover after that. Absolutely, Karen. Sadly, I'm going to have to almost finish today's interview. We could talk and talk, and we will talk again because what I'm doing with a lot of my key interviews over uh, these twenty um, shows that I've done is that we are having continuation. We are doing other things with the the format of the show, and not least, we're going to be doing a few webinars and a few conferences where the same process, and we'll be able to use some or all of the same uh, vehicles to have this dialogue and communication. But I just want to kind of put some summary um, comments to you. They're comments from my side that might be. Uh, criticisms of football, criticism particularly of the way football finances are going, may reflect some or all of the the sum, the, uh, the kind of summary things that you've made. I mean, not least today, fans themselves feel that they owe and have a voice and they're always expert and complain the moment, you know, a signing doesn't take place. So maybe that's kind of uh, coming out of some of the thoughts that you've said. But on a general basis... Is the EPL suffering financial meltdown would be a question that I'd like to put to you. And also alongside that, are the contributors to that, if it is the case, the greed of maybe people involved in football, players, owners, etc. Now I know I'm making statements rather than uh, evidence-based um, conclusions to that perspective but do you have a view and I'm sure my audience would be quite interested to hear what you have to say to that Kieran um, well I'll, I'll ask, answer those questions in turn is the EPL suffering a financial meltdown the answer is certainly not it has never been more successful in terms of generating revenue um, the new TV deals show the amazing ability of the, the Premier League to market itself not only domestically, but it's becoming increasingly importantly to an overseas audience. Um, and that means that whereas uh, sort of five or six years ago, three clubs out of 20 were making a profit, um, for the last set of results that I saw, I think it was 16 clubs out of 20 made a profit, uh, and potentially for the, for the season 2016-17 uh, that has just passed, where they've been the beneficiary of the latest up uplift in terms of the TV deal, um, it will be, it's actually quite an achievement to make a loss now. Um, so so the fo football finance has never been better at the elite level. 
But that does mean that because everybody wants to get into the Premier League, for yeah. every yin there's a yang, at the Championship, that, that is a basket case in terms of football finance, where uh, I'm anticipating the losses uh, last season from, from the clubs there to top £300 million. Okay. So that, that's, that's your first question. In respect to the second question, I don't think there's any greed in, in football um, at all. I think the players are fully entitled to uh, command whatever salaries that the market decides. And, and you know, uh, for a, as an economist, in theory, my background, you know, I'm, I'm always in favour of, of the markets. Uh, and my view is that if the players don't get the money, then the money goes probably to the owners of the clubs and, and uh, there's plenty of disreputable owners around or, or people from, from backgrounds where they don't, they don't need the cash so I'd rather the money goes to, to the players because the vast majority of, of the, the players have come from humble backgrounds and it, it's uh, you know, good luck to them because they bring so much enjoyment to thousands if not millions of people around the world. Um, so... I think, Kieran, if I may there, I mean, sadly, we are going to just have to cut off the... But every question here would beg maybe another question, and I totally agree with you, market forces, entertainers, uh, you know, market will dictate, and they're very entitled to that. Maybe the question behind that, though, is that not all of that money is actually going to the player per se, and when you've got the greed culture, as I used as a phrase, it may not necessarily uh, be directed personally at the player, but it could be involved, I mean for argument's sake, you know, uh, someone like Sir Alex Ferguson has made some quite provocative statements in the last few days regarding agents and many owners make the same comment from time to time. So, uh, I mean, is there a view there uh, from you, Kieran, on that perspective? Yeah, uh, the agent mark is unregulated, which means that anybody can put themselves forward to do the work. Uh, and also... Um, the agents tend to be more financially literate than their clients, so therefore there is there is a, 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 a vacuum which they can exploit. Um, the, the idea of agency as a whole is something I'm in favour of. If, if I want to sell my house, I use an estate agent. So yeah. if a football football club wants to sell a player or buy a player, um, again they probably go via an agent. So I, I don't see any big difference there. Okay. I, I think what has caused people to raise eyebrows is the extent of the fees that are being claimed by some agents yeah. but ultimately that's an agreement between two parties who agree to go along with it and nobody forces somebody to sign a player correct kieran it's been a great insight for me personally listening to you i know my audience will take so much out of the short time that we've had to uh, have some dialogue on some or all of these fascinating topics i will be back hopefully to talk to you very soon again, Kieran. But just leave my audience with some uh, contact details, Kieran, if they want to talk to you and, and maybe develop some more of the arguments and some more of the commentaries that we've developed in this short interview. How can they make contact with you, Kieran? Um, well, probably the easiest is, is on Twitter, um, whereby I, I, I've given myself the handle The Price of Football, which, which is partly due to the fact that I'm, you know, I'm writing a book of the same name at present. Um, but uh, they, uh, if they go to the University of Liverpool website, type my name in, you can get my email address. Um, uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter every day, 
um, and uh, I, I check my email as most people do every five <laughs> minutes these days so I'm always willing to talk or listen to anybody in respect of their views on football it, it's, uh, it's the first thing I think of in the morning and it's the last thing I think of at night Kieran, a great pleasure many thanks today for the interview you take care and we'll be in touch very soon again thank you cheers Alan